can the book of Revelation really be understood amidst all the prophetic language and mysterious symbols? How is it relevant to the 21st century? What is the controversy between good and evil all about? How and when will it end? These and many other questions will be answered, providing amazing clarity to the conditions we see in our world today. This seminar will bring you face to face with Jesus in a new and wonderful way, leading you to the most momentous decisions of your life. Welcome to Prophecy Seminar, the book of Revelation. Here is your host, Pastor David Price. It's my pleasure and privilege to welcome you to the Revelation Prophecy Seminar. And uh, we are looking at a fantastic topic this evening. We're looking at God's church in the book of Revelation. We've got some extra material for you. It's exciting and challenging, and I want to thank you for joining us. So let's go to our five discovery points. What are we going to learn in tonight's session? Number one, we're asking who is the woman who's standing on the moon in Revelation chapter 12? Number two, who is the dragon who attacks her? Number three, who is the man-child who's born of this woman? Number four, what and who are the remnant of the seed of the woman? And number five, what are the main characteristics of God's last day remnant church? So friends, tonight we're going to find ourselves mining down deep into Revelation chapter 12. It's a fantastic chapter, and I know that you'll enjoy it. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name we come before you, asking for the gift of wisdom under the power of the Holy Spirit, that your will may be revealed in our lives tonight, in Jesus' name. Amen. So welcome to session number 18, Revelation's description of God's church. If you are watching us uh, online, then the lesson is downloadable under the description bar, and you're most welcome and thank you for joining us. Recently, somebody cried out in anguish, I'm desperately trying to find God's church, but what hope do I have? There are hundreds of church denominations and sects in the world. Most claim to be God's true church, and all are alike in certain areas, yet different in others. I could never in my entire lifetime, the person said, examine the teachings of all these groups. I feel frustrated and traumatized. It's almost as if God were playing games with me. It all seems so futile and so pointless. Tragically, millions today share such sentiments. Perhaps you yourself have also felt the same way. How can you find God's last day, church on earth? Well, friends, the good news is that did you know in the book of Revelation that God so clearly describes his church for these last days that once you know what he says, you can as easily select his true church from among all the churches as you could select your country's flag from among all other flags. Wow. Wow. This is dynamite, isn't it? No wonder Satan panics when people begin 
studying the book of Revelation. Satan knows that God's true church is clearly described in the book, and Satan utilizes every imaginable tactic to prevent us getting serious over its study. You know, if everybody understood the book of Revelation, Satan's kingdom would be in immediate jeopardy, and God's great name and God's noble church would be exalted in a most exciting manner. So in this session, number 18, we're going to look at Revelation's amazing description of God's church. It's actually found in Revelation chapter 12. And if you haven't had a chance, please read the entire chapter before beginning this lesson and get to grips with the source material. Well, thank you for joining us. We are looking at uh, our first heading, God's Church for Today, and we're going to question one. Jesus says in Luke 17, 26, that the time just before his second coming will be like Noah's day. How many ways of escape were there in Noah's day? And then we'll go to Genesis chapter 7 and verse 1. So, friends, first we're going to check out what Jesus said it would be like in the last days. Jesus said, and as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. So the conditions on earth just before Jesus comes back in his second coming mimic what was going on in Noah's time. We know in Genesis chapter 6, there was a lot of violence. There was a lot of wickedness on the earth. There was a lot of marriage and giving in marriage. A lot of social conditions were breaking down, and it was absolutely horrific. Let's go to uh, Genesis 7.1. The question is, how many ways of escape were there in Noah's day? Genesis 7, 1, and the Lord said unto Noah, come thou and all thy house into the ark. For thee, Noah, have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Friends, Noah was a righteous man and a preacher of righteousness. So we're living in the last days when conditions will be very, very bad. And we're also asking how many ways of escape were there in Noah's day? Well, there was only one, and that was the ark. Join me now at the top of page two in our study guide. And it says, how many faiths or churches did Paul say Jesus has? We go to the book of Ephesians and look at chapter four and verse five. This was written by Paul to the church at Ephesus today, located in Turkey, but in ancient Asia Minor. Paul wrote very perceptively, there is one Lord, there's one faith, and there's one baptism. How many faiths or churches did Paul say Jesus Christ has? There's only one Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one faith, the Christian faith, and there's only one form of baptism, as we learned a few sessions ago. Friends, as in Noah's day, God has put but one boat or church that's going to go through to safety. And I want you to be certain that you board the right boat. Ephesians 5, 25 to 27 points out clearly that Jesus died to bring his church into his kingdom. So friends, as we look at this illustration, we have to ask the question, why didn't more people get on the ark? 
And I'm wondering if they were afraid of ridicule. It might have been one of the reasons. And I think today people are also afraid of ridicule. Ridicule by joining a church, especially God's last day remnant church. But I want to encourage you to be more concerned of what Jesus Christ, the Eternal Father, and the Holy Spirit think about us more than what the world thinks about us. We're in question three. Obviously, there are many beautiful Christians in all churches. Since God only has one true church, which he will save, what will happen to the sincere Christians in other churches? This is a very, very important point. So let's go to the words of Jesus in John 10 and verse 16. Jesus said, and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. So Jesus has a plan to bring his true followers from other folds back into the one sheepfold. In John 10 and verse 27, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I think I've shared with you the illustration of the two boys on the path whose flocks got mixed up, the two shepherds, and one boy said, how are we going to sort them out? And the other boy said, we'll just separate ourselves, go our different ways home, and we'll call our sheep. And that's the way that they will separate themselves. Jesus said a similar thing, didn't he? Them also I must bring, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd, and they will follow me because I know them and they know my voice. Friends, here Jesus is pictured as the good shepherd. It's good news, isn't it? His people are the sheep and his church is the sheepfold. Jesus plainly says that some of his sheep are not in his church yet, but that he will call them and they will follow him into his last day church, John 10, 27. Our second heading out of seven headings are number two, God's church symbolized. Let's go a little bit deeper. Question four, how does God symbolize Zion or his church in prophecy? We're going to Jeremiah chapter six and verse two. Jeremiah writes, I have likened the daughter of Zion to a comely and delicate woman. So this just means a beautiful and fragile woman. And Isaiah 51, 16 picks up the same thing. And say unto Zion, Isaiah writes, thou art my people. So the Bible says I've likened Zion unto a delicate and attractive woman. So friends, the Bible repeatedly symbolizes God's church as a virtuous woman. If you want additional references on this, please go back to Exhibit 1. Uh, in Lesson 1, which is featured there on the screen, which covers the symbols of Revelation with a literal meaning. I want to share with you an extra text. You might like to grab your pen and jot this down in your study guide under question number four. I'm taking you to 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 2. We're looking at what is the symbol of a church throughout Scripture. Paul said to the church in Corinth, for I am jealous over you, the church with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you, meaning I've chosen you or married you 
to one husband, the Lord Jesus Christ, that I may present you as a chaste or a pure virgin to the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see it's consistent in the Old Testament. A uh, church is designated and symbolized by a pure woman and the same result in the New Testament showing complete harmony. We're at question five at the bottom of page two. So friends, in Revelation 12, 1, Jesus introduces his church under the symbolism of a virtuous woman. Let's go through parts A, B, C, and D. So where did John actually see this woman, the pure woman? What was she clothed with? What was she actually standing on and what was on her head? We're in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 1. John the Revelator writes in vision, and there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. Friends, the symbolism is very, very memorable, isn't it? So where did John see the woman? She's actually there in heaven. We'll find out a little bit more about what heaven. There are three heavens. Secondly, in part B, she was clothed with the sun. Very clearly, we'll find out what that means. Then she was standing on the moon. And then what was on her head? We find a crown of 12 stars. So, friends, let's take these mysterious symbols one by one and understand them a little bit better. For part A, where did John see the woman? Heaven here refers to the sky where the birds fly. And you can refer back to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 20. Well, what about the sun? She's clothed with the sun. The sun here represents Jesus Christ and his righteousness. And it says here, in Malachi 4.2, the sun, S-U-N, of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. So Jesus is also the bright and morning star. The sun is the brightest star in the morning. And he is the one who's called the son of righteousness, but he's also God's son, S-O-N, as well as the son of righteousness, S-U-N. The third point here is that the moon has no light. She's standing on the moon, except that reflected from the sun. So this actually represents the Old Testament sacrificial system, which pointed forward to Jesus, which had no light except that it reflected the gospel in Hebrews 10.1. But it pointed people forward through sacrificing the lambs and the animals in the Old Testament to the one who would come in the future as their redeemer. So then there is a crown of 12 stars. At the top of page three, the study guide says it represents the work of the 12 disciples, which crowned the, um, the early years of the church. See Matthew 10, one to four. So I believe that the crown of 12 stars represents God's church in all the ages. In the Old Testament, it's symbolized by the 12 tribes. In the New Testament times, it's symbolized by the 12 apostles or the 12 disciples. And then in the heavenly city, the New Jerusalem, it's symbolized by the 12 gates of pearl. So in this woman, she's wearing no jewelry but she wears a crown of royalty showing that she is the Christian church in all the ages. 
Let me read to you a summary. Since the sun and the moon make a complete whole, this symbolism represents the sum total of the church in history, the church before the cross and the church after the cross. So it refers to the Old and the New Testament churches. We're in question six. What next takes place in this great prophecy of God's church? We're in Revelation chapter 12 and verses 2 and 5. We're looking at part A and part B. Revelation 12 and verse 2. And this beautiful, pure woman, she is being with child and she's crying. She's heavily pregnant. She's travailing in birth. She's going through the birth pangs and she pains to be delivered. I'm sure there's many women who can relate to this level of discomfort. In Revelation chapter 12 and verse 5, we find out what happened. And the pure woman brought forth a man child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. What next takes place in this great prophecy of God's true church? A child or a baby is born into the church, and this child is later caught up to God's throne. I want you to remember that word throne. It might turn up in the quiz. So friends, let's get some more details on who is the child. And that's a lovely segue into question seven. Who is this baby who's destined to rule all nations and who ascended up to heaven? We go to Psalm chapter 2 and verses 7 to 9. King David writes, I will declare the decree the Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Psalm 2 verse 9. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel, speaking about the wicked. So friends, we're looking there at two ingredients. Thou art my son, and this person, the son, rules the nations with a rod of iron. Let's get some more details because this refers back to what we learned earlier in Revelation 12, 5, that this woman brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with what? A rod of iron. So who is this son? Revelation 19, 13, 15, and 16 is going to tell us. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the word of God. Does anyone have any idea who this is? The word of God, yes. The scripture is God's written word, but Jesus Christ is the living word of God. Revelation 19, verse 15, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Friends, can you just picture how magnificent that is? That's absolutely brilliant. We hurry on to Acts 1 and verses 9 to 11. We're seeking out the identity of this mysterious man-child, the child from the woman. 
And while the disciples beheld, Jesus was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while the disciples looked steadfastly toward heaven as Jesus went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Now, friends, these are two angels, but notice the way the scripture describes them. It describes them as two men, not two angels, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven friends isn't that absolutely fantastic and an amazing event jesus ascends into the heavens so friends we're asking who is this baby who is destined to rule all nations with a rod of iron and who ascended up to heaven it's none other than the lord jesus christ would you join me in heading number three we're looking now at the role of the great red dragon. We're going to find out his identity in question number eight. A great red dragon is next pictured. Part A, who is this dragon? And B, where did he come from? Revelation 12 is the place that has all the answers. So war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought. Friends, over the years, there's been a lot of controversy over the identity of who this Michael is in heaven who fought against Satan. Some believe it's Michael the archangel, an actual angel. Others believe it is something much more. So we have provided for you an exhibit with lesson 18 entitled Michael the Archangel. Let me just share a little bit on this, but I'm encouraging you to read the whole exhibit for yourself because there are multiple proofs of what we are saying. So friends, what do we find here? We find that the Bible is suggesting very strongly to us that Michael the Archangel is actually Jesus Christ, but that he is not an actual angel. The word angel is um, the word that comes from the word messenger. So it is a symbol and it's a form, but it doesn't always mean a literal angel. So let's have a look at Michael the Archangel as the Lord Jesus Christ. There are more proofs than this, but let's have a look at three. In Jude 9, we find out that Michael, named the Archangel, is disputing with the Lord about the body of Moses. We won't go into that tonight, but I want you to notice the name Michael or Mikael has the name of God in the end of that name. E-L is from E-L-O-H-I-M, L-O-M, which is the name for God in the plural. But Mikael or Michael down here on planet Earth actually means today um, Christ-like or God-like or a challenge who is like God one like God. So friends, that's what Michael means. In 1 Thessalonians 4.16, the Apostle Paul told us very clearly at the second coming, the archangel's voice raises the dead. That's very interesting. And then Jesus himself said in John 5.27 to 29 that his voice would raise the dead from their graves at the resurrection at the second coming. So therefore we have a syllogism, A, B, and C. So we have Michael, the archangel, in Jude 9, 
Then we have 1 Thessalonians 4.16, the archangel's voice raises the dead. Then in John 5.27 to 29, Jesus Christ's voice raises the dead. Now, friends, do you know what the name of Jesus is? It's actually a derivative from Jehoshua, Jehovah saves, from which we get the name Joshua. Jesus is a derivative of that, and it really means in uh, Matthew 1.21, for thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. I want to ask you a question. Back in the ceaseless ages of eternity and time past, was it fitting that this being uh, was known as Jesus Christ before there were humans, before there was any sin? And the answer is no. It's totally possible that he had another name and the name Michael would fit very, very perfectly. Therefore, based on Jude 9, 1 Thessalonians 4.16 and John 5.27-29, Jesus is the same being as Michael the Archangel, but be very, very clear that Jesus is not and never was an angel. Archangel also means head of. Arch can mean head of. So he was head of the angels. Jesus Christ is actually the head of the angels. How do we know this? The proof is that Joshua worshipped the head of the angels, and called him the captain of the Lord's host in Joshua 5, 14 and 15, where Jesus accepted the worship and did not say, don't worship me, I'm an angel. That's a very, very powerful reference. So friends, I'm going to ask you to take some more time. If you're watching this online, please pause the screen now and take some time to work through all those proofs and all those points. It'll prove a great blessing to you. So here we are in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 7. So war broke out in heaven. Michael, meaning Christ, and his angels fought with the dragon. It's interesting that Jesus Christ doesn't send Michael the archangel to take on Satan. So the Lord's there in the hammock with a Coke and a hamburger saying to Michael the archangel, go and sort it out for me, will you? No, he's involved in defending the honor of God. So this war breaks out in heaven. It's a verbal war. And Michael and his angels fought with the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought. It's a great verbal battle. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. There's our answer to one of our questions in 8b. They were cast out of heaven. So we're finding out now Um who is this dragon? Revelation 12 and verse 9. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan. There's our answer. Who deceives the whole world. I've got a question for you. If you were to ask your non-Christian friends about the reality uh, of the devil, what would they say? I believe they would probably tell you that the devil is just a mythical creature, all right? And it's not possible to believe in him. Now, it's interesting because the whole world has been deceived by Satan and they don't believe him in, in him anymore. But I want to tell you that Satanists and spiritualists certainly know who he is and they like to call him Lucifer and they believe he is a real entity and a real being. So this being known as Satan and the devil was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. A great red dragon is next pictured. Who is the dragon? He's known as the devil and Satan. Where did he come from? He was cast out of heaven. People who don't read and know the Bible actually think 
that the problem of sin started in the Garden of Eden. That's the first place that Satan actually turned up. Question nine. So when this devil left heaven, whom did he bring with him? 9A and B. What did he try to do to the child? Our answers again are all found in Revelation chapter 12. Let's start in verse three and four, then go to verses seven to nine. And there appeared another wonder in heaven and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and 10 horns and seven crowns upon his heads. In verse four, and his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. So friends, here are all our answers. Whom did Satan bring with him to the planet Earth? He took a third part of the stars of heaven. This is a reference to angels. And what did he try and do to the child? He wanted to devour that child or destroy it as soon as it was born. Let's find out more about the meaning of the stars of heaven. Friends, stars are angels. See Revelation chapter 1 and verse 20. Satan deceived one third of the angels and his angels were cast out with him. Now, I have two extra texts that are not in the study guide. You might like to jot them down on this particular point. In Job 38 and verse 7, it says, When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So a friend, I assume, friends, that the planets can't sing the morning stars, the planets. So this must be referring to the morning stars. And it's here identified that the morning stars are the sons of God, which is another name for the angels of God. In Isaiah 14, verse 12, we have another reference. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? So Lucifer is a star. His star is that the astrologers say he is represented by Venus, uh, a star that comes up very brightly in the morning. He's also trying to be a counterfeit of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me share with you the historical information behind these verses at the top of page four. Friend, Satan through Herod tried to kill Jesus at his birth. So the Herod that this is, because there's a whole family of Herods who are rulers in Jerusalem. This is the King Herod, who was King Herod the Great. He reigned from 37 BC to 3 BC, which is about the time that Jesus was born. If you need more information on that, go back to lesson number two. Satan through Herod tried to kill Jesus at his birth by destroying all the babies of Bethlehem. See Matthew 1. See Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 18. Did you remember that Joseph and Mary were forewarned by an angel and they fled down to Egypt? Did you know that these two events were predicted by Old Testament prophets? See Jeremiah 31, 15 and Hosea 11, 1. Though the dragon represents Satan, it also has a secondary application to pagan Rome. Herod was a Roman ruler whom Satan used to try and kill Jesus Christ at birth. And just remember, friends, a beast power normally represents a kingdom or a political power as represented by Daniel chapter 7 and verse 23. We're now asking the question, 
what outstanding and extremely crucial facts are mentioned in Revelation 12, 10 to 12. In Revelation 12 and verse 10, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. This is talking, of course, about when Jesus came to earth and conquered over the power of Satan. And also the power of God was shown when the Satan was cast out of heaven for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Friends, Lucifer went around with a campaign of disinformation in heaven, asking the angels why they were serving God. Why were they his servants and serfs and lackeys running around doing this and doing that and still instilled in them insidious doubts about the love of God and the justice of God? So he is known as the accuser of the brethren. Let us be very careful when we are tempted to get involved in criticism. And God's people would always overcome Satan by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. Revelation 12, 12, woe to the inhabitants, people living on the earth and in the sea, for the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, right hot anger, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. What outstanding and extremely crucial facts are mentioned in Revelation 12, 10 to 12. The accuser, Satan, the devil, was cast down out of heaven to earth. God's people would overcome Satan by the blood of the lamb where Jesus had defeated Satan at the cross and the devil was angry because his time was short. I want to now direct your attention to Exhibit 1 here in Lesson 18. Let me share some of this with you. Please direct your attention to the screen. So friends, three facts of most importance to God's people are established here in Revelation 12, 10 to 12. These facts actually are, number one, that Jesus defeated Satan, the accuser of the brethren, at the cross of Jesus Christ. Point number two, all of us can overcome through the blood of Jesus Christ and by witnessing to his power in our lives. Number three, the devil is infuriated because his time is short. Uh, less than 10,000 years of human history. We cannot expect Satan to behave like a gentleman. In fact, he is our bitterest enemy. At the end of the next paragraph, it says, finally, he suffers the defeat of being blotted from the face of the earth and is finally destroyed in the lake of fire. We won't spend more time on that now because that will be our next session. All right, our fourth heading is halfway down page four and question 11. After Satan failed in destroying Jesus when he was here on earth, what did he do to the woman or the church in Revelation 12 and verse 13? And when the dragon saw that he was cast under the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. So what did he do to the woman or the church, friends? He turned his anger against the church because he could no longer reach the man-child for the name child Jesus Christ, the saviour of the world, was caught up to heaven to do the work there in the heavenly judgment in the heavenly sanctuary. Question 12, using the prophetic rule of one prophetic day equals one literal year, 
How long was this persecution to last? Now, if you're not familiar with this prophetic principle, I'm asking you to go back and study Revelation Seminar Session number two and Revelation Seminar Session number 14, where we cover this point exhaustively and give you all the proofs for that. Tonight, we're not going to prove it. We are assuming it. And so we go to Revelation chapter 12 and verse 14. And to the woman, this beautiful, pure woman that stands for the pure church, were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. So friends, notice that time period, a time, times and half a time from the face of the servant. So friends, I want to just take a moment to explain that to you. What is a time, times and half a time? Well, a time in ancient times in terms of the Jewish people, they had 12 months with 30 days in each month. So a time was a reference to a year of 360 days. Two times would quite simply be double that or 720 days. Then half a time would be 180 days or half that 360. When you add them all up, it comes to 1,260 days. And in Bible prophecy, a day stands for a year. So that's 1,260 years. Using the prophetic rule of one uh, prophetic day equals one literal year. How long was this persecution to last? It would last 1,260 days or 1,260 years. All right, now let me share with you the exhibit number one and the second part there, and please have a look at the screen as I share it with you. Friends, this period of tribulation, the 1,260 years of persecution, is repeatedly mentioned in the Bible because it's one of the worst ever to face God's people, see Matthew 24, 21. It's actually referred to as 1,260 days or 42 months or a time, times and half a times, or actually another term, three and a half times or years. See Revelation 12, 16 and 14, Revelation 13, 5, Daniel 7, 25. And all of these add up to exactly the same time period, a 1260 prophetic day year time period. So friends, history is clear that the papacy was the power which persecuted for 1260 years. The period began in 538 AD when papal power became supreme in Christendom due to the letter of the Roman Emperor Justinian, which acknowledged the Bishop of Rome as the head of all the churches. This letter became part of Justinian's code, the fundamental law of the empire. The period ended in 1798 AD when Napoleon's general Berthier took the Pope captive in AD 1798. At least 50 million Christians died for their faith during this period of the persecution. So friends, you can see there, the 1260 years were fulfilled from 538 AD to 1798 AD, those 1260 years. Some commentators say it might have been even as high as 100 million people lost their lives during the so-called Dark Ages. We're at the top of page five and question 13. Thanks for sharing this exciting Bible study with us in session 18. 
Question 13, what did the church do when this persecution began? We're in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 6. And the woman, the pure church, fled into the wilderness, where she hath a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days or years. This is very fascinating, isn't it? What did the church do when this persecution began? The woman actually had to flee out into the wilderness. So let me now ask you a question without notice. What does it mean when the scripture clearly says that Satan the dragon chased the woman, the true church, out into the wilderness for these 1260 years? Friends, let me share with you the historical note. The wilderness typifies the deserted and remote places of earth. God's people fled for their lives and hid in the solitary places of the earth. The church dared not operate in the open or else its members would not have survived. God's true church did not exist openly as an organization from 538 to 1798 AD. Friends, just pause. I'm going to give you some extra information. We'll move away from the lesson. Let's get a little bit of background on this. Why flee? Because the persecution during the Dark Ages from the Church of Rome was so severe that the people had to flee. One of the areas that we know there was a lot of persecution was the persecution of the people known as the Waldenses in the western part of Italy near the French border, just near Turin. And friends, during this time, the Waldensian people, the Huguenots over the border, the Albigenses and others, the Hussites were treated terribly. In fact, they were persecuted. They were put on racks. Their bodies were broken in half and they were forced to recant. What did they have to recant from? Well, one of the canon laws that came in through Louis the ninth, the King of France in AD 1229 was this. Lay members are not allowed to possess the books of either the Old or the New Testament, end of quote. So friends, God's people were hunted as wild beasts everywhere. And here they gathered up in the mountains in, re in remote places. So these French laws were only echoes of the rules or the papal bulls that were handed out by the popes, the decrees. But while the Waldenses on the French side of the Alps were being exterminated, the Pope had a more difficult task to destroy them in the Piedmont Alps. From Pope Lucius III's time in 1181 to 1185 AD, right through to the Reformation in the 16th century, the persecution of the Waldenses was the subject of many papal anathemas or bans. Army after army was sent against these people and all manner of trickery was resorted to in order to destroy these honest, plain Christian people. In 1488, Albert Cantoneo, the papal legate, came with an army into the midst of the Val Louise, the Valley Louise. The inhabitants, the Waldensian people, fled into a cave for shelter. And the soldiers started a fire at the mouth of the cavern and smothered the entire population of 3,000, including 400 children. Friends, I'm quoting from a book called Facts of Faith by Christian Edwardson, the chapter on the Waldensies. And in this version, it's page 100. 
and 31. Friends, this is what God's people were going through, and this is why the true church had to flee to the wilderness. Let me share some more historical information from page five back in the study guide. Many wonderful Christians are members of churches that were organized and openly functioning between 538 and 1798 AD. However, none of these churches can be God's true remnant church into which he's calling all his people today. Why? Because God makes it clear that his last church would not exist openly as a formal organization during this period. Join me in heading five, God's remnant last day church. So we're now looking and reviewing the symbols of Revelation 12, 17 and what we've learned. We've discovered that the dragon stands for the devil and Satan. We found that the woman stands for God's last day true church. We found that the remnant are the ones who remain, the last day or end time people of God. We find that they keep the commandments of God. The commandments are listed in Exodus 23 to 17, the Ten Commandments, and also they have the testimony of Jesus in Revelation 19 and verse 10. But what's this word remnant actually mean? Well, in the old days, ladies used to sew. They used to have sewing machines. They used to darn and knit and embroider and crochet before they had to go out and work so that people could take loans and buy more expensive houses. So we're asking, what is the remnant? Now, I'm sure that many women remember that there used to be remnant sales. Remnant sales was the last piece of cloth that was from the roll or the bolt of material. What's significant about a remnant sale is that the cloth that was being offered at a discount, the last bit on the roll had to be the same uh, texture and uh, composition and fabric and pattern as the original. And this is also symbolic of God's last day church. It must match up exactly with the church of the New Testament, the early church. So what does this word remnant actually mean? The word remnant means that which remains and is like the original. So friends, God's last day remnant church is pretty much the same as the early Christian church that Jesus raised up in the first century AD. So now let's put the verse in today's language. And the devil was infuriated with the true church and went to fight against God's church in the very last days, which keeps the Ten Commandments and has the gift of prophecy. That takes us into question 14 at the bottom of page five. What two characteristics of God's last day remnant church are mentioned in Revelation 12 and verse 17 and 19.10? And the dragon Satan was wroth with the woman, the pure church, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, the ones who remain at the very end of time, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony or the faith of Jesus Christ. Revelation 19.10, what is this testimony of Jesus Christ? Let's allow the scripture to interpret the scripture. And John says, I fell at the angel's feet to worship him. But the angel said to me, see thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. John, you need to only worship God. 
for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Friends, the Holy Spirit always inspired the prophets. He always inspired the prophets, and the prophets testified to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how it works. It's wonderfully simple and simply wonderful. So our answer is they keep the Ten Commandments and have the gift or the spirit of prophecy. So friends, God's last day church will have the gift of prophecy and will keep all the commandments, including the seventh day Sabbath of the fourth commandment. Jesus is still saying, if you love me, keep my commandments. Notice obedience is always based on love. See John 14, 15. Did you know it's impossible to really love Jesus and knowingly break his commandments? First John 5 and verse 3. Yet there are many true Christians in churches which do not keep the Sabbath or have the gift of prophecy. Some know and choose not to. Others do not know. And God is going to bring them this last day warning message through the messages of the three angels. Let's get together again at the top of page six. However, none of these churches can be God's last day remnant church into which he's calling all his people. His church must qualify in both areas. All right, section uh, six out of seven is the three special messages. Let's have a look at the three angels' messages. Here is something startling. Jesus assigns us three great points in proclaiming to all the world the everlasting gospel in these last days. We go to Revelation 14 and verse 6 and 7. What are these three great points? Revelation 14, 6 to 11. But let's go to point A, the first angel's message, Revelation 14, 6 and 7. Then I saw John the Revelator writes another angel flying in the midst of heaven. This is the first angel's message. Having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue and people. It's a worldwide message. And the people on earth are told to fear or reverence God and give glory to him to live a godly life for the hour of God's judgment has come. It is come and to worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. So the first of these three great points is that the first angel's message is to warn the world. The hour of God's judgment is come to worship him which made heaven and earth. Friends, these three angels are not literal angels. You won't see these angels flying in the sky. They're symbolic of these three important messages. God's last day church will be teaching that God's judgment is now in session in heaven and that we must worship and honor him as creator by keeping his seventh day Sabbath the sign of his creative power. If you don't know what we're talking about, the fourth commandment, then please go back and uh, review and study session number 10 of the Revelation seminar. Let's have a look at the second angel's message. We go to Revelation 14.8 and Revelation 18.2 and 4. And another second angel followed the first angel saying, Babylon is fallen is fallen that great city. There's our first answer. Because she's made all nations drink the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Not going to go into that now because we have a whole session on Babylon. Revelation 18.2, And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, 
is fallen. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Jesus says, come out of her Babylon, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. Friends, did you notice that Babylon's involved with plagues, whether she's creating the plagues or whether the plagues are attracted to her, the pandemics, the epidemics, I don't know, but you need to research and be aware of this. So in point B, what are these three great points? Babylon is fallen, is fallen. It's not going to stand. It's spiritually bankrupt. Get out of it. God has people in Babylon. He says, come out of her what? Yeah, my people. He says, my people are being caught up in false religious groups. Is it possible that you are in Babylon? God's church for today must be calling people out of Babylon. We will take up a very detailed study of Babylon uh, in session number 21. Let's have a look now at the third angel's message, the three of the three great points. We go into Revelation 14.9, something about the beast, his image, and something. Then a third angel followed angel one and two, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his what? There's the answer. His mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God. Friends, this is a very, very serious charge that God puts out. It's a warning for God's church for today must be telling people how to avoid the mark of the beast. We're going to cover that in session uh, number 19, which is our next session. So please make time to make sure you understand that subject. Friends, before we go into the mark of the beast, we have to establish who is the beast. God's true church for today will be presenting the three powerful three angels' messages worldwide. Many devout, loyal Christians are members of churches which do not teach this three-point message. However, such churches cannot be God's special church for today into which he is calling all his people because God's last day church must be preaching these three messages worldwide. Friends, what do you think we're doing right now? We are doing this work here on the Zoom program and here online. Question 16, what other key point will God's true church do and be involved in for the last days and what will it stress? We go to Revelation 12 and verse 11. We've already studied this and they, God's true people, the remnant will overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony and they love not their lives unto the death. What other key point will God's true church for the last day stress? Friends, they overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb. What does this mean? God's church will make it very clear that salvation and righteousness come by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And so that is the answer. We're going to our final uh, subject heading, which is God's church identified. It's heading number seven of seven. So friends, according to Revelation chapters 12 and 14, 
The following seven great points identify God's church for today into which he's calling all his people. Let's review these seven points. So firstly, God's true church will appear after the wilderness experience, after the Dark Ages experience, which ran from 538 to 1798. So God's true church will appear out of the wilderness and come back after the year 1798. Number two, God's last day church will also hold the same truths as did the apostles, for their teachings will follow God's words exactly and square with the Bible. Number three, God's last day church will keep all of the Ten Commandments, including the fourth commandment, the seventh day Sabbath, that 95% of the world do not keep and have given away today. Number four, this last day church will also have the spirit of prophecy or the gift of prophecy in a powerful way. Number five, it will preach the final end time three angels messages of Revelation 14, 6 to 12. This is what we're doing now. It will also be a worldwide missionary church to every nation, tongue, and people group on planet Earth. And number seven, God's last day remnant church will teach salvation through Jesus Christ alone. This is the everlasting gospel. Question 17, Jesus hands you these seven specifications and says, go find my church. What does he promise when we seek it? The words of Jesus, and I say unto you, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Friends, what does God promise when we seek it? If we seek it, we shall find it. It's so positive. It's so encouraging. Question 18, how many church organizations in the world actually fit these seven points? So let's go to Ephesians 4 and verse 5. There's only ever one Lord Jesus Christ. There's only ever one Christian faith. And there's only ever one true form of baptism. So the answer is there's only one. Friends, I don't know if you've realized this, but the church which is bringing you this revelation seminar fits all seven points. This church actually knows and cares about and preaches the three angels' messages to all the world. And also, this is the church that is bringing you the Revelation Seminar. And this church is, I say it humbly with a note of full assurance, the Seventh-day Adventist Church right here in New South Wales, down under in the great country of Australia. So I'm going to say to you now that church which is bringing you this revelation seminar fits all seven points let's review quickly how it fits into each point so number one did the seventh day adventist church appear after 1798 it certainly did the seventh day adventist church began in a revival movement in the 1840s when they believed that jesus christ would come back in 1844 the church was officially established in 1863 and known as the seventh day adventist church it was a church that believed in the second advent of jesus christ the second coming and the seventh day part was that they were keeping the original bible day of worship which was the seventh day saturday sabbath which is on saturday and always has been point number two did the seventh adventist church hold the same truths as the apostles did its teachings follow God's word? Friends, the last day remnant church has 28 fundamental beliefs that parallel 
the New Testament and early church beliefs exactly. Number three, does the Seventh-day Adventist Church keep the Ten Commandments, including the Fourth Commandment and the Seventh-day Sabbath? Absolutely, and it calls people back to worship God on the original day of worship as identified in the first angel's message, which says to worship him that made heaven, the earth, the seas, and the fountains of waters. It's a callback to recognize God as creator and to turn their backs on evolution. You know, most Christian churches today actually have embraced and preach evolution. God's last day remnant church will have the gift or spirit of prophecy. We have been given this special gift of prophecy to preach, and that's what I'm doing right now in this Revelation Prophecy Seminar. Number five, the last day remnant church will preach the final end time three angels messages of Revelation 14, 6 to 12, and we'll be doing that again soon as we get into the lesson on Babylon. We are to specialize in God's word via teaching and prophecy. If you're interested in the book of Daniel, then on this same website, True Blue SDA, you will find a previous series called The Prophecy Seminar. And this is Understanding God's Word from the Book of Daniel. I encourage you to engage with that. It's absolutely brilliant. It's so exciting. Number six, God's last day remnant church will be a worldwide missionary church going to every nation, tongue and people. You might be surprised to find the Seventh-day Adventist church is not one of the biggest churches in the world at all, but it is in a majority of the 235 countries in this world. Finally, it will teach salvation through Jesus Christ alone and present the everlasting gospel. And so we also believe we're saved through faith in Jesus Christ alone. But saving faith is never alone because it's always accompanied by loving obedience to do the things that God has asked us to do. Now, there is a... Um, a exhibit number two for lesson 18 here it's the partners folder and on the front it says this churches and bible societies throughout the world are giving and working together to supply the holy scriptures in languages people can read and understand the following pages show where your denomination and others are witnessing for christ so it lists how many churches are in how many countries of the world and here in the second column it lists adventist seventh day and you'll see there that the Seventh-day Adventist Church is actually found in a majority of the countries of the world. And I'm going to give you a little bit more on this now. I'm going to ask the question, is the Seventh-day Adventist Church actually a worldwide church when it is not a large church? Friends, every day, the Seventh-day Adventist Church shares Jesus in 901 languages. That might surprise you. Number two, every day the Seventh-day Adventist Church baptizes 2,199 people. Every day the Seventh-day Adventist Church raises up five new churches. There's one Seventh-day Adventist for every 358 people in the world, and it grows its 21.6 million membership every day to the glory of God. Friends, some more on this last day church. Is the Seventh-day Adventist church an educational church? It absolutely is. It runs, funds, and maintains 9,489 schools, colleges, and universities. It has over 2 million students, and it has nearly 112,000 teachers around the world. 
is the SDA church a humanitarian church? It absolutely is. It runs and operates 229 hospitals, 1.5 million inpatients it serves, and it also has cared for 21 million outpatients each year. And there are 143,000 employees. So how widely spread is the Seventh-day Adventist Church? It's currently working in 212 out of 235 countries in the world, and that is that it is infiltrated and evangelized 90% of the countries of the world. Friends, this is only a tiny church, a little remnant church of just over 20 million members, but God has blessed this church and spread its influence around this world. And so therefore you can see that the Seventh-day Adventist Church is absolutely a worldwide church. The Roman Catholic Church would be the largest church and would be the one that's found in the most countries of the world. But of the Protestant churches, the Seventh-day Adventist Church is one of the churches that is the leader of being in almost every country in the world. So friends, what can we say about God's last day church? Here are five points you need to memorize. God's last day church is never in the majority because you can never base truth on a majority vote. Isn't that true? Truth is never in the majority. Number two, God's church is not the most popular. Why? Because truth rarely wins a popularity context. Number three, God's church is not the most spectacular because God values truth more than architecture. And so when you look at these two church, these two churches, God's true church is more like the little church on the left than the big church on the right. Point number four, God's church does not need the approval of popular religious leaders. Why is that? Friends, very simply, truth is truth, whether religious leaders accept it as truth or not. Now, I want to give you a religious formula that shows you that the majority of the world, I believe, will not be saved. Here's the formula of who can be saved. It's eight out of eight slash B and four slash three. This is based on two Old Testament stories. So friends, let's go back and see what eight slash B is. What is that salvation formula? Well, you remember Noah, a preacher of righteousness, called people to come on the ark. But when they didn't come, God filled it up with animals. And so Mr. and Mrs. Noah went, and there were three sons and their three wives. So that makes a total of eight people saved in the time of Noah out of billions of people who were living on the earth. Eight were saved in God's ark out of billions. Whether they didn't believe through the 120 years of preaching that Noah was telling the truth or whether they were too afraid to stand out and be called nutcases and go onto that ark, we don't know. But friends, eight saved out of billions is not very many. And what is the formula of four saved out of three? Well, friends, let's have a look at the ancient story of Sodom and Gomorrah. So four were called out. There was Lot his daughters, and his wife. But how many made it out? Only three made it out alive because Mrs. Lot had left something behind in Sodom. The angels told her, do not look back. She directly disobeyed because she'd left something behind in Sodom. Do you know what she left there? 
That's right. She left her heart, her possessions, and the rest of her family. Friends, is it hard to be saved? It certainly is. Not that God wants it to be hard, but eight were saved out of billions, and only three were saved out of four, and that three were only three out of the thousands who existed in the five cities of the plain and Sodom and Gomorrah. Would you join me at the top of page eight as we close off our lesson? Question 19. Once one recognizes God's true church, is it necessary to become a member? We're in Acts 2 and verse 47. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Friends, that's absolutely incredible because it doesn't say that Paul added members to the church. It doesn't say Peter or John added members to the church. The Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit, added to his church daily such as should be saved. Friends, I want you to notice the following. We are all called into one body, Colossians 3.15, and that is the church. Part two, that body is the Christian church. and really means God's last day remnant church. See Colossians 1.18, for the church is the body of Christ. Finally, how do we enter that church? We enter that church by biblical baptism, which is baptism by immersion, not sprinkling, but baptism to go right under the water. And we find that in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13. Friends, it's just as important to enter God's ark or church today as it was to enter the ark in Noah's day. There's no point clapping when you see God's last day remnant church and saying how wonderful it is. You have to get on board. You have to get off the Titanic and get into God's lifeboat. Remember that Jesus intends to save the church, as he said in Ephesians 5, 25 to 27. Question 20, Revelation 1, 12, 13, and 20 pictures Jesus walking amongst his churches. He still walks among the churches today, calling out his people. See Hebrews 13, 8. As he speaks to you and calls you into his blessed ark of safety for these last days, will you respond to his loving call? You are very precious to him. I'm hoping that your answer is totally positive. Friends, I want you to know that Jesus Christ loves his church. The church, weak and defective as it is, is the apple of his eye. He loves his last day remnant church and he loves you and he's calling you right now to make a decision. And that decision is to get on board. I'm hoping that you'll contact me, that will contact your local Seventh-day Adventist church and start worshipping, ask for Bible studies, contact the minister or the pastor there. God bless you as you make those important decisions, which will make a kingdom difference down here and an eternal difference for the world to come. God bless you. Let's finish our seminar as we started. We started with the question, who is the woman standing on the moon in Revelation 12? Please call it out. What's your answer? That's right. It's the pure church, the true church of the last days. Who is the dragon who attacks? Too easy. We know that is. Correct, Satan the devil. Number three, who's the man-child born of the woman? I think that's pretty easy too. It was the Lord Jesus Christ who was caught up to God and to his throne. Number four, who are the remnant of the seed of the woman? That stands for God's true church of the end times. And number five, what are the two main characteristics of the remnant church? They keep the what? 
the Ten Commandments, and they have the what? The testimony of Jesus, also called the gift or the spirit of prophecy. Prophecy is very, very important. By showing that God can predict the future, we know that he will guide, bless, and direct us and lead us to the kingdom of God. Thank you so much for uh, getting involved in our quiz number 18 tonight. Our response questions are, if you believe this Bible study lesson was clear and understandable, please place a tick in box number one. Number two, if you believe that what you've heard tonight is truth and have decided to follow Jesus all the way by joining the church, which is calling people out of Babylon and who keep the commandments of God by his grace and have the gift of prophecy, I'm asking you to step forward in faith and tick box number two or contact me and let me know that you've made that decision. God bless you. We have five quiz questions tonight, which are fill in the missing word. We don't have a letter for you because we need to make it harder as we get towards the end. We've got three people who are nearly getting the same score at the top of the tree. So let's go to question number one. The book of Revelation pictures God's last day church or called out people as a beautiful something. This word has five letters. God's last day church as pictured as a beautiful and comely something. Lock your answer in. We're going to give you the answer right now. Lock it in. The answer is, that's right. It's a beautiful and comely woman. Question two, a great prophecy in Revelation talks of a man-child Jesus who was caught up to God something to intercede for us. That is a six-letter word. Lock it in now. Jesus Christ was caught up to God something in heaven to intercede for us. And the answer is God's throne. Absolutely correct. Number three, too easy here. The Dark Ages persecution of God's faithful followers lasted for how many years? It's four numbers, four numbers. The Dark Ages persecution of God's faithful followers lasted for how long? Lock it in. The answer is 1,260 years. Absolutely correct. Number four, the two major characteristics of God's last day church are, one, it keeps the Ten Commandments of God and has the something of prophecy. Your answer can start with S or it can start with G. If it starts with G, there's four letters. If it starts with S, there is six letters. Lock it in now. And this church has the spirit or the gift of prophecy. Number five, God's true church for today will be calling people out of what? Something that is known as confusion. It's a city of confusion. God's people will be called out of what? It's uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven letters. Seven letters. It's the city of, lock it in, Babylon, the city of confusion. Well, friends, in our Revelation Seminar Wall of Truth, we've studied in this session the search for the true church. We found out that God's true church still keeps all of his law and has the gift or spirit of prophecy. In our next session, we're going to look at what is the mark of the beast and the one after what and where is hell. So we're looking forward to this study and at session number 19, the mark of the beast. What are we going to learn? What powers are represented by the two beasts in Revelation 13? This is a massive study. We're going to learn what is the mark of the beast. You must first know what is the beast before you can identify what is the mark of the beast. Number three, who's actually going to receive that mark? Number four, when is the mark received? And number five, what role does the Sabbath or the fourth commandment play in all of this drama?
Friends, would you pray with me as we close? Gracious Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ, our Saviour and Holy Spirit, I want to thank you for this beautiful study. Revelation chapter 12 telling us that you love us, you have a last day remnant church, and you are calling the peoples of the world who are alive in the last days to come into that church. We know, Father, as we continue to study your word, that things will become clearer. Place a blessing on all those tonight who chose to either be baptized or join your last day remnant church. And I ask this blessing in the powerful and precious name of Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, to the glory of the Father and let all the people say, Amen, Amen, Amen. Well, it's been an absolute privilege and pleasure to present this to you, friends. And I thank you for being with us. And we look forward to you joining us for uh, session number 19 next time. I'll say thank you and goodbye to Len. You've been listening to Prophecy Seminar, the book of Revelation with Pastor David Price. For more information about this series, you can visit the YouTube page, True Blue SDA, all one word, that's True Blue SDA. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.